The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. You know, dads are heroes. At least they want to be heroes. I know that's how I feel. You know, the guys all have this dream of, of pulling out the sword, slaying the dragon, rescuing the princess, putting her on your stallion and riding off into the sunset, right? The way that looks in real life is when one of your kids has a loose tooth and can't get it out, you have to be the hero that reaches in there and yanks that thing out, right? You've got to be the hero that teaches your kids how to ride their bike. I mean, you've got to do some heroic stuff. I've discovered that heroics means if my wife needs an umbrella, I got to run out in the rain to bring it to her, right? It means opening a door. You got to be chivalrous, right? And so we all have this dream in our mind. I think every guy kind of grows up wanting to be heroic, to save the day, to, to step in between, you know, a flying boy and, you know, put themselves in and say, I'm going to save, you know, the person I love. We, we kind of fantasize about these things. If, if you women, you're having a tough time with it. You just got to realize that's the way guys are hardwired. We are designed to want to be heroic, which creates a real crisis. Because when your desire to be heroic meets an impossible reality where heroics don't work, then you feel completely helpless. I have a few moments that I can just quickly think of where I felt totally helpless. I remember when, when, when Daniel was born prematurely and you know, we're just staring at him as he lays in the incubator and I'm going, I, there's nothing I can do. I, I couldn't even hold him. And I have a, I have a real close friend of mine who, uh, who died tragically of colorectal cancer. And I remember when I got the phone call and just that feeling of helplessness. And I can remember going down to visit him at the hospital as he got really close to the end. And there was some people from the church who, who went there and they were praying for him for supernatural healing. And I can remember one lady saying, you know, quoting this Bible verse, that was like something from the Psalms that was like, you shall not die, but live and declare the glory of the Lord. And I, I stood there faithless going, I, I don't know. He doesn't look like he's got a whole lot of life and a whole lot of like miracle stuff going on. I mean, this dude, I mean, my friend looks like he's going to die. And then he did. And I was like, see, and I, I think all of us have those moments when we get to a, a completely helpless situation, when we go, you know what? I want to be heroic, but there are moments when no matter, no matter strength, no matter power, no matter hard work is going to get you out of that situation. And it feels like in those moments, there is a great divide between what exists in the spiritual and what exists in the physical. I, I believe like others, that in the, in the spiritual realm, you know, people are healthy and happy. They don't ever cry, right? That's what I read about when you get to heaven. There is complete health. There is wholeness. There are no more tears, no more sorrow. But in this world, there is sorrow. There are a lot of tears and a lot of pain and not a whole lot of heroics. And what I long for is some thin space where the spiritual meets the physical and something supernatural begins to happen. But I know I've had plenty of moments that left me feeling incredibly disillusioned. Trust me, standing at my friend's bedside as he was dying will leave you feeling that way. 
After you've prayed every prayer you know to pray, after you've begged God every way you know to beg God, and you go, I don't see it. What is happening? God, what are you doing? This doesn't feel like a thin space. And when I read the story of Jesus, as recorded by one of his friends and followers, a guy named Luke, I appreciate the perspective of Luke because he is an outsider within the Jewish community writing to other outsiders. That's most of us. Unless you have Jewish heritage, you're like Luke. You're an outsider, and he was writing to you, and he, and he wrote this account of the life and teachings of Jesus uh, so that those on the outside looking in could go, wait, this matters for me. And as he introduces the story of Jesus, uh, you, you discover Jesus as he begins his ministry. So we've been, through this series, we've been looking at the early moments in Jesus' ministry. Moments when Jesus begins to teach, where Jesus begins to do signs, wonders, and miracles. And we're in the gospel according to Luke chapter 5. And I just want to bring you to this moment because I think it's incredibly practical today. Here, here's the moment. One day, this is Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And, and this is, a, let me, I'm going to break down this moment for you real quick. So here's what you see. Jesus has done some incredible uh, signs, wonders, and miracles. He raised a dead woman back to life. Uh, Jesus has done some other supernatural things. And what you discover in this moment or in this season is what Jesus is doing is God among men. Peeling back the curtain, revealing to us that there is not this divide that we thought existed between the spiritual and the physical. Jesus reveals to us that this thin space that we thought existed, really, the spiritual is as real, if not more real, than the physical. That the eternal has become present among us. And that's what we see going on here. And then there's this group. Let me, let me set it up for you. These Pharisees are a group of religious leaders. They're the teachers. They're the guys. So let me give it to you in a modern context, right? They're the guys with the really cool robes, right? They got their awesome professorial beards. They have the prestigious degrees. They sound super intelligent, and they can, they can quote the words from the word of God in other languages that you have no idea what they're talking about. That's kind of the Pharisees in this day and age. They would sit there and teach you how complex it is to understand the laws of God so that you understood that you better listen to them because there's no way you can do this on your own. They know how to break down the law. They can give you all of the rules, all of the do's and all of the don'ts. And these Pharisees, it's interesting, as Jesus is teaching, here's what you see them doing. Sitting, doing nothing. They judge rather than join in. They label rather than love, and they criticize rather than create. That's the role of Pharisees. Now, before you go pointing fingers, let's pause for a moment and let's examine all of our hearts to make sure that we, we've evaluated ourselves to confess the inner Pharisee in every one of us. I get it. I get it. Lifehouse, 
and those who are part of LifeHouse, those who are coming out new to LifeHouse, you might think there's no Pharisee in you. Because you're a, you're a new breed of Christians. I mean, we got pastors on staff who've got tattoos. And we've got leaders around us who've got a dark past. And, and our church looks different, right? I mean, we got a rock band and lights and haze. And, and we're like, no, there can't be any Pharisees around here. No, no, here, Here's how this works. A Pharisee is someone who is trying to earn their way to God, believing that somehow in their own effort, they can deserve the gifts of God. So if you're trying hard to earn and impress your way to God, you have an inner Pharisee in you. If you're spending more time judging than joining in other people's relationship with God, you have an inner Pharisee. If you are motivated by pride, if you think you can work hard and become good enough, you have an inner Pharisee. Inner Pharisees are people who sit around thinking, God can't do that. In this story, in just a moment, a sick man is gonna show up on the scene. And the Pharisee's reaction is to think, God can't help this man. Jesus isn't allowed to do that. And every one of us have moments in our life when we come to a place and we say, either God can't do it or God won't do it. In a modern context, there are groups of people, I would, I would say within the church community, uh, we, the term that we use theologically would be people who believe in like cessationism, all right? What that means is that they believe that once the last apostles died from the New, from the New Testament, that God's spirit stopped working miraculously in our generation, meaning God doesn't heal, God doesn't speak supernaturally through people anymore. They believe God stopped. And, and some of us, we struggle with it. We think, I think God doesn't do that anymore. That, well, that comes out of a Pharisee, an inner Pharisee kind of heart. It also comes with this idea of being unloving. They, they sat around judging and condemning while Jesus is joining and inviting people to join him. They're pointing fingers while Jesus is welcoming people into his community. The inner Pharisee in each one of us is also hypocritical. It says one thing and does another. These guys claim to be teachers of the law, but they sit around in the way doing nothing. Examine your own heart for that inner Pharisee in you that may be hypocritical, where you say one thing, but you do another. And then finally, a really key characteristic of Pharisees and the inner Pharisee in each one of us is that they're miserable and angry. When you see someone who claims to be a Christian and yet most of their life they're angry and they're miserable, it's because they have not encountered Jesus. It's because they have put religion in the way of meeting Jesus. And I think for you and I, we have to examine our heart and say, where am I miserable? Where do I lack joy? Where am I angry? And then confess that inner Pharisee part of who we are. Now let me keep reading because something really incredible happens in this thin space moment. In fact, here it is as I continue. And the power of the Lord was present for him, Jesus, to heal the sick. Here they are, this group of Pharisees who are sitting around doing nothing, but God is present to heal the sick. And what we hear in this moment is that there is this thin space that 
God is among us. And, and the thin space is not just because some invisible God's presence is there. It's because Jesus is there. When Jesus shows up, it's a thin space where God is present to heal. So let me keep reading. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, remember, the room is filled with Pharisees who are just a bunch of religious people judging rather than joining and criticizing rather than creating. And so the Pharisees are in the way of this man getting close to Jesus. So they try to get in, they can't get in. When they could not find a way because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So let me set this up for you to make sure you understand what's going on. First, let me describe what a little house in Palestine might look like. So we're talking about a one-bedroom house, meaning it's just one room and not really a big room. All right, now this, this one room that's packed with a bunch of Pharisees and a bunch of other people coming to listen to Jesus. Jesus is maybe standing in the back of the room. He's trying to teach them. Everybody's crowded in. And these guys are carrying this guy on a mat. So uh, the way this house would work is on the outside of the house, there was a, a stairway going up to the roof. A, a typical Palestinian house would have a roof that would have wooden beams across it. And then covering those beams would be palm fronds. And then they would lay tiles, these clay tiles on top of the palm fronds. And then they would pack the tiles with mud, right? So that when they harden, they become hardened earth that would seal the roof. All right, so here's what these guys do. They bring this guy up the outside stairway. They walk over to where they think Jesus is right below them. And they start peeling back the, the clay and the tile. Now think about it. If you're down below, you know what's going on? Dirt is falling on you. Like stuff is falling, like little chunks of clay and like little chunks of tile. Like, and they're like, what in the world? And you could see the Pharisees, can't you? Oh, oh, how dare they interrupt this church service? Man, that little baby crying is keeping me from paying attention. And they're pointing fingers and they're judging and they're condemning. Meanwhile, you got a group of friends who are desperately trying to get their friend close to Jesus. And so they lower him down with, with ropes so that he's hanging right in front of Jesus. I mean, this is a very disruptive moment. There are usually two groups of people when Jesus shows up. There are usually two groups of people when hurting people are trying to get close to Jesus. There's a group that is sitting around doing nothing, pointing fingers. And then there's a group that will do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus. That group is also the same group that will usually do whatever it takes to get their friends close to Jesus. Be the desperate people who will do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus. Be the desperate kind of people who will do whatever it takes to get your friends close to Jesus. One word. Bacon! <laughs> you know why we do Bacon Fest? Because we'll do whatever it takes to get people close to Jesus. Uh, here's the reality. You might struggle. Well, what, what is Jesus going to do? How is this going to work? Who cares? Get close to Jesus and find out. Don't 
sit around judging in the way of what Jesus might do. Just get close to Jesus and find out what he will do. So I want to challenge you. There's a takeaway. It jumps off the pages. Here it is. When we desperately meet Jesus, life change happens. When you become one of those desperate people that will do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus, I promise you, life change happens. People's lives are changed when they do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus. And if you do whatever it takes to get your friends close to Jesus, their life will be changed. These guys were desperate. They cared about their friend. And so they did whatever it took to get him close to Jesus. And you and I should be desperate because there is something far worse going in our life, going on in our life than just a physical problem. In fact, you could say that in this man's life, his physical paralysis was a sign of a spiritual paralysis. In fact, specifically in this story, if you were to read a little deeper, you would come to the conclusion very quickly that it is likely that the reason this man was physically paralyzed was because he had done something seriously wrong. He, he, got, he was out late one night in the local Jewish pub, and he spent a little too much time in bibbing, and then he got on his donkey in the fast lane going a little too fast and it crashed into another donkey going the wrong direction and now this dude's paralyzed. And all of his friends that were at the pub with him that one night, they feel guilty too. And so they're desperate and they're gonna do whatever it takes to get their friend close to Jesus so that he can receive a miracle. See, his physical condition was the sign of his spiritual condition. And you and I, we have a much greater spiritual problem than we do physical problem. The reality is that the reason, the source for the spiritual paralysis that every one of us experience is this disease called sin. Sin is the inner drive inside of every one of us to disregard God and live the way we want to. It's what compels us into addiction. It's what drives decisions that lead to our own destruction. It's what causes us to write God off and regard our own desires, self-interests, and uh, passions. So sin is at the root of what leads toward our ruin. It's what causes uh, our destruction. It's what wrecks our lives. And worse, sin wrecks our spiritual lives because the the moment we sin we are cut off from God and we put ourselves on a trajectory toward eternal destruction eternal suffering we are desperately spiritually paralyzed in trouble and so I want to challenge you with this reality that comes off the pages of this passage When Jesus is our thin space, we experience life change spiritually. The life change that you and I need is not a healing of our physical bodies. We need that guilt and the shame removed. We need the inner spiritual problems that we carry healed. So let's let's look at this situation 
We see it in, we're just going to keep reading here in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, so this man was lowered through the roof. He's paralyzed. He's laying on this mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You're all allowed to give a little crooked eye. What's Jesus up to? Look, it's really obvious to everyone in the room that the reason this guy is paralyzed is because he's made some bad decisions in his life. They can see the tattoos and they can see the, the prick marks where he's been doing drugs. They can see the lifestyle all over his body. And, and so they, these guys lower him because they want a physical miracle, but what Jesus does is he speaks right to the root problem. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Look, if he just healed this man's physical body, but his heart wasn't healed, he'd go right back to doing what already got him into this physical trouble in the first place. So Jesus deals with the bigger problem. Jesus deals with the root issues of life. And Jesus deals with our root issues. In fact, you could say this is the primary reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to earth so that he could speak to people with spiritual paralysis. Your sins are forgiven. This moment is the greatest miracle of all miracles. Why? Because when Jesus Christ came to earth, here's what he did. He took the collective spiritual sickness that we all carry. He took the inner soul disease that, that has corrupted our lives. Jesus took the debt that we owe because of sin and the collective eternal death sentence that's marked on every one of us. He took all of that. He collected it up and he placed it on himself so when Jesus Christ died, he died once for all. In his death, he paid our debt. In his suffering, he suffered for all of those who should eternally suffer. In his beatings and in his torture, he was battered and bruised and beaten so that we could be spiritually made whole. So that in this moment, he could say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. This is the greatest moment of all. I know some of you, you're sitting there thinking, man, I've got a friend with cancer, and I've got a neighbor who's got a, 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 a terminal disease, and my child's suffering with a, a mental disorder, and I want miracles in my life. But I can assure you, the greatest miracle of all is the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because it's the only miracle that lasts forever. If your physical body is healed, but your spirit is still condemned, you experience a temporary band-aid healing that doesn't resolve the inner eternal corruption. So Jesus came to earth to die on a cross and so that he could rise from the dead to conquer the power of sin, to loose us from the fear of the grave and to set us free from the condemnation of eternal suffering so that he could speak to you and I. Friend, your sins are forgiven. You can be healed spiritually. You can experience through that thin space of meeting Jesus Christ, you can experience the life change of spiritual transformation and spiritual healing. If you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, then he will forgive you of your sins. Your life transformed. How does this work? When you believe in Jesus by faith, God's eternal invisible spirit comes and makes his home in our eternal invisible spirit. When God's spirit is present in our spirit, he transforms us and makes us truly alive. And when you've been made truly alive by faith in Jesus Christ, you are reunited in faith with Jesus. 
Your spirit restored, guilt and shame removed, and you are given new life. So regardless of what your outside body looks like, you are inwardly, totally whole with the promise of eternal life forever in perfect relationship with God. That should give you great hope. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, here they are again. You see them? They're thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? How can he, how can, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Jesus is making the point that the greatest miracle in all of history is that the Son of God would become the Son of Man so the sons of man could become sons of God. The greatest miracle is that Jesus took the sins of the world on himself and died once for all so that mankind could be forgiven of sin. That is an awesome and incredible and eternal miracle. In this place, God wants you to experience life change spiritually. He wants to take those of you that are carrying the sickness of guilt and shame and he wants to free you from that. Those of you that have been walking around feeling spiritually cut off from God. He wants to restore you in a right relationship with him. And I don't care who is standing between you and your spiritual miracle. If it means you have to humble yourself, if it means you have to be lowered and you got to put yourself on your knees in front of people who would point fingers and judge you and condemn, who cares? You get a hold of God. You get in the presence of Jesus where you can experience life change spiritually. Now listen, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed, and God and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I believe that when you get into the presence of Jesus, when you allow God's presence to become the thin space where desperate people encounter life change, you and I can walk out going, some remarkable things happened today. When Jesus is our thin space, we experience life change physically. Every once in a while, God will show up in the physical and the miraculous because God wants to show up and show off so that he can make known his name and fame so that people will begin to believe that God is able to forgive sins. See, God will do things in the physical so that we believe he can do things in the spiritual. I want to introduce you to what happened just before this moment. So we're going to go back just a few verses because before this moment when Jesus begins to teach, he was walking through the streets. And as he's walking through the streets, there's this guy who's a leper. We're going to go to verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. So we're just going to pause right there. Leprosy, uh, much more well-known in ancient times, but still exists today. Leprosy is a a very 
contagious disease of the skin, where it eats away at the skin, it causes tremendous rashes and pain to the point where someone with leprosy does not want to wash themselves because it just hurts so much. Uh, it will it, it ben- eventually begins to desensitize the nerves and causes a person to become numb wherever they have leprosy on their body. And it spreads and spreads to the point where because they become numb and they can't feel, when they stub their toe, they don't know they did. And so they break their toes, they burn their hands because they don't know they're touching something hot. Imagine you had no nerves, right? And so you do things, and, and so this is actually what causes a person with leprosy to die. They could live a very long time as their body erodes. And so the, what they would do in these ancient times is they would isolate the person. They couldn't have a job, they had to beg for a living. They weren't allowed into a place of worship, they were cast out. And they felt abandoned by God. They weren't allowed to spend time with their family. They spent their time alone in leper colonies. They were isolated. And any time they came into the community to beg, everyone who saw them would scream out, unclean, meaning don't get close to them. There's a leper who's contagious. Don't go near them. You want your kids to get sick and die. So everyone would stay away. They might throw a coin at them. Even the family members would would designate a place where they would go and drop off food. Then the leper would come out, get the food, and go back so that they would never have contact for fear of gaining the contagious disease. So Jesus is walking through, and there's this leprous man. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. He humbled himself, and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here is the moment. Jesus, if you're willing... I am physically leprous. I know, Jesus, that you can forgive sin. I know, Jesus, you've come to earth to die on a cross so that I can have my guilt and shame removed and I can be in a right relationship with you. But Jesus, if you're willing, would you make me clean? Jesus reached, listen to this. Jesus reached out his hand. You see it? And he touched him. Jesus could have spoken the word. There were plenty of other moments when Jesus speaks and someone's healed. He speaks and someone lives. He specifically reaches out his hand and he touches the leper. A man who probably hadn't been touched in a very long time. A man in the late stages of leprous decay. And Jesus specifically reaches out his hand because Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus loves the unlovely. Jesus cares for the broken and the wounded and the battered and the beaten. Jesus puts himself into a vulnerable spot because Jesus brings life change into those who are battered and broken. Jesus touches people who are hurting. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I don't know necessarily why my friend Chris had to die of colorectal cancer. And I've struggled for so many years thinking, man, God must pick and choose. I don't even know if God is good. Here's what I absolutely fundamentally believe. God is good. God is powerful. God heals us spiritually and brings spiritual life change. And God both can and wants to do physical miracles among us. God can and will heal our bodies. Here's what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died for our physical pain. He died for our physical broken bodies. He died first and foremost to make us spiritually whole and to give us eternal life. 
but he also died. He took the disease of the world. He took the leprosy of the world. He took the sickness and the paralysis and all the brokenness of the world, and he took it on himself, and he paid the price so that complete healing was purchased on the cross. He paid for it. And that complete healing exists in eternity. A day will come when you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, will be welcomed into our eternal home where we will be made forever completely whole. Healing will become supernaturally present in our eternal bodies. But here's what I also know. That healing that exists forever in eternity can be present today. It is possible that through faith in Jesus Christ, there are moments when God takes what already exists completely in holy eternity and he deposits it into people's lives. Now, here is the reason why God does that. His goal is not our physical well-being. Make sure you don't miss that. His goal is our spiritual well-being. God wants to show up and show off in people's lives. He doesn't pick and choose favorites. He does it because he wants to make his name known. And so sometimes when we seek his face, God will heal. God will do signs and wonders and miracles. God will heal cancer. God will make a paralyzed man whole again. I was talking to a friend. Their son had autism. And, they, and, and another man was just praying for him. And he's supernaturally healed of autism. Now, when I heard that, I was like, I don't know. They're like, no, seriously. He was our son. We saw it happen right in front of us. God wants to do miracles so that he can show up and show off in our lives to make his name known so that his message of hope and healing, his message that he can remove guilt and shame from our lives could become famous in our generation. God wants to touch the untouchable. God wants to do the impossible. It's not a matter of how much faith you have. It's not a matter of whether you can or can't believe in this moment. It comes down to this. If you are willing just to simply trust God and say, God, I know that you don't always heal every situation, right? Because if you think about it logically, right? If God raises every person from the dead, eventually they're gonna die again. If God heals me of every disease, I'm gonna eventually get sick again. Sometimes we show off God's great love the most in our suffering the most in our dying. But God does want to do miracles among us. And so we want to, we believe that God can and God will do miracles. And so it's just a moment of surrender of saying, God, I believe by faith that you are present here and you are, you are present to heal the sick and give sight to the blind and to give uh, the ability to hear to the deaf, to, to uh, heal mental illness, to free people of physical addictions. Right now, if what you came in with was spiritual paralysis, then your first step is through faith in Jesus Christ to receive spiritual healing in Jesus' name. If that's where you're at, then you take this moment and you confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You, you repent of your old way of living and you turn your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For others of you, you're struggling. There's someone who is sick that you, you just want to believe for a miracle. There's a situation that is, is heavy on your heart and you want to believe that God can show up and do the impossible. I want you to take a moment right now and just allow this moment to be a thin space where God can and will do the impossible. Would you just pause your heart 
and say, God, would you be present here right now? God, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Would you take this moment, just begin to pray. If you're making a decision for Christ, would you take this moment and allow this to be your confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Would you take this moment right now and just begin to pause and allow the Holy Spirit to meet you in this thin space moment. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.